Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Victoria Clooney. We are absolutely pumped to have you here, Victoria. She's a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. She works a lot on the personality assessment side. So we're going to dive deep into that without a doubt. But she's also an active real estate investor, and she's doing a lot of cool things. Victoria, we'd love to kick it off with a story. So could you tell us one of the craziest real estate transactions or experiences that you've been a part of? Hello, everybody. Well, thank you very much for having me. And it's just been like even just Mm. like the two minutes that we were just chit-chatting there. I already know this is going to be a great conversation. Story, um, gosh, there's many, surprisingly, but I'll tell one from last year. So recently, I put an offer in off-market property. It was tiny homes. So it was like six of these tiny homes on two different lots facing each other. And I thought it was super cool. You know, I was really making a good connection and rapport with the homeowner. He was rough around the edges, but he seemed to like me and he wanted to to work with me. And basically it just started to go south when he realized like, I got a really good deal negotiated for this property. Mm-hmm. When he realized how good this deal was, he started to like get a little shady. There's a little bit of a, there was a murder case involved with this one. So one of his tenants went missing and he had told me about this tenant that they weren't paying and then all of a sudden i saw a picture of this tenant and she belonged to these units it just started to get crazy he then listed the property even though we had a contract that was already signed he listed it back on the market for sale somebody put it else under under contract and uh basically it it almost got to the point of we were going to go into a lawsuit and I had to make a decision. I had to like really dig deep into whether or not it was worth it for me to continue on because I had grounds mm. to win this suit. Um, and I decided to step back and I think he gave me like a thousand bucks to step back for any money that I had spent in time. And that was a real important moment for me in my life because it was something that I naturally wanted to fight against the injustice of the situation. I did everything right. I met all the deadlines. I was, you know, being very pleasant and processing, but ultimately deciding that that's not the way I want to do business. And I don't think any deal is worth it enough to, you know, go through that type of um, ups and downs and, you know, volatility. So I walked away. So I thought that was pretty crazy after like the most recent one. Yeah, it leaves all kinds of questions in my mind. Like, what about the murder? Like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> she was found dead, um, and so they had, you know, police cars and everything. This was the tenant that that owner was telling me about that had gone missing, or that they were moving out. So it was really, really strange that the next week her picture was all over. First, it started as missing, and then she was found found dead. So it. Uh, I feel like it was, there was a lot of signs, a lot of red flags that were shown to me. And I just kept pushing through. Like this was a property that was like so many barriers started coming up, but I was just, I had this tunnel vision at how good this deal was that I was pushing through. I, I 
became very resilient. I learned a lot of different uh, things about how resourceful I was. I got access to uh, private lending that I didn't even know that I had because he was pushing the appraisal. So the appraisal was the big thing that was delaying it. And it was because the seller wouldn't allow the appraiser onto the property. And then I couldn't get the financing from the bank because the appraiser couldn't give the appraisal. And so it I got private money for the entire purchase. And uh, yeah, it was a, a really eye-opening experience. This was also in Nova Scotia. Whoa, so... Like, I wasn't even present. Uh-huh. So I was doing all of this long distance. Yeah, so you're not even there. Not even there. So walk us through the, the finding of this deal. How did you find this deal? How did you know it was a good deal? And then later on, he ends up finding out. How does he find out it's a good deal? You know, I kind of think that it was my property manager because I found the deal online. I know. And I don't think it was on purpose, but so I found the deal online and I just Kijiji. So it's off market. You guys have Kijiji in in the US? Not that I'm aware of. You aware of it, Tim? It's like your Craigslist. I've never heard of it. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. He is like the Canadian version of Craigslist and he just posted it there. So it was a a private sale. I reached out to the owner and I called him on the phone and we had a good conversation and he was like, yeah, I'm just looking to sell it. So I made an offer. We kind of went back and forth and he agreed. It was 400,000 for six homes and they were, you know, small homes, but identical. And I knew it was a good deal because I'm very familiar with that area. I spent the past 17 years living there. So I had a good grasp on the market and tiny homes have become, you know, a little bit of a niche market, but a lot of people want this community lifestyle. So I really liked the idea and I could make it beautiful. Like I I had that vision and how I could turn this into uh, just a beautiful community. And I sent my property manager to do a walkthrough on my behalf and my property manager is amazing and you know he's like my he's my right arm that is in nova scotia and does a lot for me but i think he was even just like wow you know how did you how did you come to this price and the the seller just said well because victoria asked me mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think it just planted a seed that's just my you know i could mm-hmm. be wrong but it, uh, yeah, he found out and then he started trying to get me to pay uh, another hundred grand over what we agreed. And I saw the listing came up, somebody sent me the listing and it was just like, come on, bud. Yeah. Crazy. So you get into the lawsuit and, or not the lawsuit, but into that situation where he's trying to back out. Like, have you always been of that mindset where, Hey, I just let things go or what sort of prior thoughts led you to feel like it's better to let this go than to pass up this good deal? I have always said, pick and choose your battles. Always. My natural instinct is fight. That is, that's who I am. I'm very, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not offensive, but I'm incredibly defensive. And so if I get backed into a corner, then I'm naturally a fighter. And so I want to, for the injustice, I want to, for that ego side of me to say, you don't get to treat me like this. I have standards. I don't accept that type of behavior, but I had to back up and I had to like check my ego. And I had to say, 
why are you fighting it? And is it worth it? Is it worth the stress, the emotional toll that it would take? Um, for what? And then do I want to own this property? I, I don't know what this person is capable of. He could burn it to a ground if for all I know. He could sabotage it. Who knows? I mean, if I'm not there, it's just not a property that felt good anymore for me to get into. And there's a million and one deals. I mean, it, it, people get that tunnel vision on these deals and they think that's the be all and end all. But what they don't realize is just around the corner is another yeah, one. Totally. Yeah, and I resonate with this so much because like you said, when you have an abundance mindset, there's always another deal, even a better deal out there. And the there's the money, the time portion that you give to the lawsuit, the money portion. And then there's just, I think the energy portion is like the worst part. Like you could be wrecked for months or years in a lawsuit, you know, whereas with what you do as an investor, your time and energy are worth so much. Your ability to find new deals, create new communities. Yeah, I agree. Completely. Love it. I want to take us to your time in the, the Canadian military. And, you know, I know pre-show we talked about the roles that you had there and, and the personality psychology study. So like, I am so excited for this. So take us into that and what led you down that path. Um, And I, I could talk about this all day. So I'm really excited that we get to, you know, and that you're into this as well. But um, yeah, it's funny because I didn't join. So my my title is personnel selection officer. And so, you know, the fancy term is behavioral analyst. And that's what we do. We analyze people's behavior. Um, I do that person job fit. So I, I take an individual in the military who wants to get in the military, who's leaving the military. So, you know, all aspects of uh, a member's journey in the forces, I'm evaluating them. And so it's just so fascinating to me uh, thinking about even just how it's evaluated and how to keep standards, because that's a big part of what we do is to make sure that we're doing standardized testing and um, selection so that it's not biased, because that's uh, but the interesting part is that you get to understand bias and how to combat bias and um, yeah, so I got started into it, I think halfway through my career, I'm 21 years in now. And so about halfway through, I wanted something different. It was being offered as a, a school program. So they sponsored my university, sent me to get my psychology degree. And then uh, now I'm actually doing my master's full time for the military because I'll be going into another role that's just going to be at that next higher level where you need a master's of psychology to be able to do it. So yeah, it's a very, very, I say it's one of the non, the most non-military positions that we can have because I can inject like a lot of personality, empathy. Goodness gracious. If I would have known this position was available in the military, I would have signed up. Um, how cool. It's a small branch. So we are, we're about 120 in the in the whole Canadian Armed Forces. So it's a, a very small niche branch, but I'm just so so lucky That's and grateful so cool. to be in it. So there's so many things that we can dive into. You mentioned bias. I'm super excited to understand what biases exist. If you can maybe start us though with what is the method of testing in the Canadian military? And then we could kind of branch out from there. 
So we have, there's different types of testing, but like the most basic testing that we do is called the Canadian Armed Forces Aptitude Test. And so it's a cognitive ability test. And basically what we're doing is applying this in order for that first level selection. It's the quickest way and the most cost effective that we can really weed out whether or not somebody would be cognitively able to you know, meet the training requirements at the most basic level. And uh, funnily enough, I struggled with this test. And it's one of these things that, you know, it, it's difficult for me to, um, because from a cognitive perspective, yes, but it, it's very math heavy. And so if you're not able to do math quickly in your head, like I can speak all day, my verbal skills through the roof. But my math and my spatial ability, because that's what the three components of the test are, are terrible. And so it, I always find it funny that this is a test that I really struggled to meet the requirements of my position, but job. I excel in the job. But, you know, at the end of the day, you need to have, yeah, you need to have that standardization. So I do the cognitive, the aptitude test. And then the other one is the personality inventory. So we use the trait self-descriptive personality inventory, which was actually derived from the U.S. Air Force. So there's our little connection. And that test really focuses on the big five. So the you've got like openness, agreeableness, uh, conscientiousness. We say emotional stability, but it's also neuroticism. And, yeah. and so this is something here? that Jordan Peterson references often, a fellow Canadian. Yeah. Yes, Con very controversial. Yes. Yes. A controversial and, and fellow Canadian. Your, how is he perceived yeah. in Canada? Yeah. You know, from, I think my mentality, because I, I come from the psychology side of things, I completely understand where Jordan Peterson is coming from. But I think that the controversy that surrounds him is probably by a lot of people that really don't understand the real mm. science behind what he's speaking. And they misunderstand, you know, what he's saying. And so I think that that's just, um, I think the barrier there is that communication piece and the, the bridge between somebody that is just so educated and clearly has a difficult time being able to communicate more at a, a level where just like mm -hmm. layman's terms. Do you know what I mean? Like when a doctor's trying to explain something to you, to him, it's, mm -hmm. it's normal. But to you, if it's the first time you're ever hearing something like that, it can seem alarming. So I think totally. that that's like where people, um, yeah. Yes. You know I, mean? I have like an absolute love for psychology, particularly as it relates to, you know, the workplace behavior, et cetera. So this is why I think we're so aligned in this conversation. So I got the chance to go listen to him speak. Uh, wow. He spoke not too far from our, from our house. And it was such an enjoyable thing because he's so intelligent. But I can see what you're saying in the sense that if if I was somebody that didn't spend a lot of effort and time studying psychology and studying a lot of the words and phrases, I think it could be very easy to to not understand what he's saying and definitely to think I do, but not. And so, yeah, I hear you there. So, so essentially, it's those five mm -hmm. traits that they're focusing on. And so, how do you feel about that test? Do you feel that this is a really great way of analyzing people or would you do it differently if you were 
put in complete charge of the entire military. If you ruled the world. <laughs> if I ruled the world. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, actually. I, I, yeah, I do think about it sometimes. But uh, the test, I mean, no test is perfect at the end of the day. And, um, you know, for um, it's one of those tests that what I would like to see with it would be to give it a bit of a frame of reference. That's my only criticism with that test, because what I find is like when you're asking questions about somebody's personality and, you know, tell me if, if this relates to you when, when you do something at work, is it the exact same way that you operate at home? You know what I mean? So like if your desk space, like for me, for example, my desk space at work, it's pristine. It's, you know, I want to keep it all nice and clean, but if I like <laughs> waved my camera around here, you would see three right. coffee cups on the side, that plant up there. Like there's, uh-huh. I, I operate differently at work than I do at home. And so I think that when we're testing for personality and especially if it is for employment, then what I would love to say, see is instead of like a general, I like to keep things neat and organized, just adding yeah. at work at the end of it could really change how somebody's um, answering those questions. But in general, from like observing people's responses, like I've had somebody who would be low in conscientiousness. And so that's like attention to detail, uh, whether or not you're somebody who comes, shows up on time, that kind of thing. And uh, they'd be late to my office or you know, they wouldn't have that attention to detail. And then they would start to argue about being low in conscientiousness. But then when I would explain to them or point out some things that even I've noticed, you can see them just be like, oh, yeah, okay, that is me. So it's, we don't use it as a cutoff, but we use it as a, a, a guideline to be able to see whether or not somebody is like the emotional stability. That's a big factor is is how well somebody manages stress and so in the military if somebody comes in with very low emotional stability it's a little bit of a red flag that we have to dive a little deeper into why totally and you bring up a good point like there's multiple distinguish distinguishing elements so number one is how are they at home versus how are they at work like so i know people that would be on time at work 100 percent of the time but will show up late to every single party that they're at and so depending on the frame of, of reference that they're yeah. asking, yeah, exactly. That they're asking a question on would determine if they say they're late or not. And then the other thing you mentioned is stress. And I think that's so, I'm so glad you brought that up because people like fundamentally behaviorally change under stress. So you could, at least for me, you could almost throw everything out the window when, when you talk about stress being involved. So is there, how does the military, if at all, how do they measure those differences between maybe someone being in a stressful state, someone being in thinking about a home life state? It's, yeah, I I mean, that's a good question. It's all uh, within the actual inventory itself. And so it's rated on a Likert scale. So basically like one to, to five, I think, or it might be seven. So for us, it's like a 75 item test on a Likert scale. So they can either just say like, I'm always, sometimes, rarely, never, and then uh, just base like um, individually where they believe that they are. So it's a self-declared. Yeah. And so maybe if we're creating a test from scratch, do you think it would be good to like 
actually distinguish that on the test, like ask the question twice, essentially, like, you know, for each question or, or, I mean, do you think we're just kind of in a place where it's hard? They're, they're like, there's definitely always questions that are reverse coded or questions that are asked in a way so that you can't, you shouldn't be able to manipulate it based on, you know, always answering always like being right justified the entire time. And so there's ways that you can, but I mean, honestly, a lot of people will just answer it the way that they think that you want them to answer it as well. And so, but even that on its own. So somebody who's highly conscientious is probably not going to score (laughs) as high because they're very critical (laughs) of themselves. They're like, yeah, conscientious. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that's why we can't use it. It's not a cutoff. So where the aptitude test would be a cutoff, this one is just more of a, you know, we're just, we're waiting it, but we're looking at it a little bit to answer or ask some follow-up questions and, you know, just take it into consideration when you look at the big picture. Yeah. That's so interesting. So in real estate, most people use the disc profile, which when you look at that, you can, to some degree, correlate. C would be the conscientious. S would be your agreeableness. Generally speaking, you know, I would be your level of extroversion and D would be more of, you know, I forget exactly which, which one would relate to like being super assertive, but, um, so that's the four point scale that most people use. And I think that can be helpful. One of the things that I struggle with, and I'd love to get your take on it is I feel like a lot of these psychometric tests, they test behavioral patterns and like the frequency with which you do things as opposed to more of the motivation. And so I know that motivation is incredibly hard to mm. measure, if not impossible, which is probably why there, there doesn't seem to be much out there. But like one of the things that I like to say about the Enneagram, which I'm not a proponent of the Enneagram in the sense that like, I think the origins are really weird. And then there's also the, the non-ability to quantify but one of the things that I found useful in, you know, just evaluating talent for finding the right fit is that it's so motivation based that it seems to be more of more utility. It's more useful to me in understanding like why somebody would be conscientious and when they'd be conscientious. So I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're used to, you know, things like the Enneagram or things that have more of a motivation basis. Not so much. So it's funny, actually, somebody just sent me the disc profile two days ago, we were, you know, connecting online. And she was like, Yeah, I like to share this with people so I can get their personality and we can understand good fit. And right away, I was like, Oh, okay, well, we're best friends now because we can chit chat personality. But so I'm gonna actually do this. Uh, I wish I would have done it before this conversation. I didn't even think about that. But same thing with the Enneagram. But I really do find motivation interesting because for me, I talk a lot about discipline and I love to, you know, preach discipline over motivation. And so, because I just think that it's fleeting, motivation comes and goes and, but it's very, very interesting about the underlying reasons that people have. And so one of the, um, like hardiness, and resilience, right? Like those are the things that really you want to pay attention to in an individual to see, because that's the stuff that's going to keep them going, even when times are hard. 
And I'm actually kind of looking into a little bit of that right now for my thesis to think about, you know, what keeps people motivated to go through, to continue? Like what's the underlying reason for their motivation? Yeah, hundred percent. I've got, sense, got right? so many thoughts on this. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't tell you, I can't calculate the number of hours I've spent thinking about this. So one of the things I'll just set the frame for this question. So to make an impact in the world, you typically need to be very good at something like incredibly good at something. And particularly with the amount of people and how information is being disseminated, you, you have to be like next level and to be next level, you generally have to have high aptitude for that thing. And then you have to spend a tremendous amount of time and consistency discipline as, as you're saying in that field, my personality loves being creative wildly creative, not in the artistic sense, but in the thought world. And so one of the things that I found challenging is that the only thing I tend to be consistent about is I like to think creatively. And so it makes it hard because unless if that's all I do all day long, which is maybe what I should be doing with my life, then like it's hard to get to a level where I could provide real unbelievable value to people. So my, my question stems from the fact that like mo discipline versus motivation. Like, do you believe that people like discipline isn't like a, do you believe discipline is a thing? Like people, once they possess it, they possess it in all areas of their life. Or do you believe that like discipline can be like almost automatically obtained by alignment? Good question. Mm. Yeah, I do. I think that it's alignment is where I would lean towards because I think that at the end of the day, discipline is a choice that you have to make and it's a hard choice that you have to make. And so you have to decide whether or not like it's worth it to do that hard thing. And if it doesn't align with your values, your goals, your beliefs, your priority, like priority is huge for me. It's like, I got clothes on the floor in my bedroom, but there's no way I'm missing a workout at 30 in the morning. You know what I mean? I could be better. I could make my bed every day and I could have like pristine area and surfaces. I like a clean home. I like clean surfaces, but that laundry that's been sitting in the, the hamper for three days is not my priority. It's not my priority, but my fitness, mm -hmm. my nutrition, my business, my community, those are my priority. My family, like those are priority. And so I definitely think it has to be an alignment for you to sustain that type of commitment, that like fierce discipline to do the things that are hard, even when you don't want to so do when them. you're when you're checking for fit, I mean, is that really what you're checking for? You're checking for like an alignment of virtue? Like this person prioritizes organization. So therefore they're an admin. Is you know, is that is that essentially what you're like your main driver or how, how does yeah it, it all depends there's like different levels of fit that we have to get into um when you look at like special forces that's a whole different ball game because like they're doing a job that is so high level and you need to you need to give it that kind of high level um eyes and and fit for that so that's you know they go through a whole selection assessment phase in order to to get in Whereas if it's in the military and we're looking at occupations for a member, that's, you know, basically there's a, there's organization fit. So we have to make sure that they're fit for the organization, which is the military and whole, but then there's person job fit, and that's to make sure that they fit the occupation. And so in that area, we're looking at their aptitude. Do they have 
high enough aptitude to do it because some trades are more technical than others. Some occupations are more verbal or require spatial. So we have that. We've got uh, the personality. Some, uh, some is leadership. So we need to make sure that like what kind of leadership ability have they demonstrated in the past? And so we have certain, um, it's like interview style questions to be able to identify whether or not somebody brings leadership skills because we have programs that require high level leadership. And so, yeah, it's, it's very unique to every trade and every occupation. And so we are just looking at all these areas to make sure that we're giving like a well-rounded, um, Assessment. I really like that. So essentially what you're saying is, is how you even determine fit changes based on the technicality of the job and so on and so forth. Yeah. Really, really Absolutely. cool. And so when you weigh the, you weigh aptitude, you weigh all of these things, how do you weigh how much the personality needs to be a fit, how much the aptitude, and I know that will change per job, but is there like some general rules of thumb if someone's hiring you know, in the real estate world, how, how would you recommend that they would weigh their? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Okay. Because yeah, the, I mean, we take a, like our scoring in the military is out of a hundred. And so uh, I think it might've changed in the past year. Cause right now I'm doing school, school full time, but it was like uh 15% personality, 65% aptitude, and then 25% interview, like person job fit. But I love like the connection with the real estate world because, and this is for any job too. I mean, certainly you have to take, there's like these hard measurement tools, like the aptitude test that I mentioned, but they only go so far just as like my situation. Had I been counseled out or not selected just based on my aptitude alone, well, mm-hmm, then the military no would doubt. be missing out on a pretty good and so we have to be able to look at both sides and perseverance, grit, resilience. I mean, I went back to school in order to increase my ability to take these math questions. And so that shows the resilience. And so I want to see that if I'm like, if I'm ruling the world and I'm selecting people, I would take the people that work hardest over the sharpest. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and got an inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. 
If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And like there's, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the totally. toolbox. Is that what is it? Sharpest is it? tool the in the sharpest. shed? I think so. I actually you know just got this say. wrong. You don't have to be the, the other night the, I were hanging out with some friends in the drawer. and I said, got, got the brightest yeah, bulb in the shed. And they laughed at me. They're like, it's not the bulb in the shed, you know? So that's funny. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I knew it as soon as I went. <laughs> As soon as I started saying it, but you really don't need to be the smartest person. You just need to be like one of the hardest working, right? And so if you can figure it out, I'm going to take you over somebody who is just like coasting off of their, their brains, yeah, their absolutely. intelligence, right? Oh God, I need to comment on this, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm going to jump in on this one um, because this is like the, from me, um, I don't, I don't want to sound like super egocentric or whatever. Um, but the aptitude for me has always been super high. Um, being able to gain new skills and learn new things is extremely high. But for the first majority of my life, because everything became, came to me so easily, yeah. you know, I, I never really pushed through hard enough, um, because of that, because, you know, everything just came easy. It's like, oh, this is all right. I got it. So like I move on to the next thing. So like, I'm just super curious. Like you just mentioned like aptitude is not as important as resilience. Like what happens when you get bold? That's then you're like a fierce, you know, a, a force to be reckoned with. But because I would ask you, Tim, if you, when you, when you face a, a wall or a barrier or a roadblock, like is your natural instinct to push through, figure it out or, you know, find the detour or back off, quit basically. My natural instinct is to definitely figure it out. Yeah. Okay, um, good. Without a doubt. That's good. Because most people... Actually, I, I want to let you guys roll for a little bit, but actually I found my big five results. <laughs> All right, test. cool. We'll come back to the big five. kind of fun to jump into at the end. And just hear your thoughts on what it says. Right. And, and you can... Yeah. So I, I want to let you guys talk a little bit. I just really align with what you said because, um, yeah, I mean, everything came so easily for me in life. So I never had to learn to work hard. I've always worked hard from a business sense. Um, but from a academic sense, mm. like I've never had to put any effort into it. Like I get A's without trying. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it became interesting when I realized um, that I needed to de develop good study habits and stuff like that, even if it came naturally, because it's just an yeah. important discipline to instill into your life. Really. And a lot of people don't, ones that have had everything so easy to them and you know, we, we talk a lot about like helicopter parents and, you know, raising kids and not giving them adversity. And because like, that's where strength comes from is adversity. And so when everything is so easy for you, then when you do hit adversity as an adult, sometimes it's a little bit too late for you to have developed those type of like stick to it skills, the push through it, the, the creativity. But I mean, it sounds like you're doing the right thing. And and it worked out for you. So that's amazing. But a lot of people aren't yeah. in the same boat. <laughs> so I've got, I've got so oh, many questions. One, one <laughs> question that is just coming to mind is there's two schools what? of thought out there. There's the old school thought where it's just like grind and do it because it's what we do, right? I mean, the people that are with companies for 40 years or 50 years, and then there's this new school mentality, which is like, Hey, you shouldn't have to grind for 40 or 50 years in a job you don't like. So 
there's obviously pros and cons to both of those philosophies. And if you were giving counsel to somebody, how would you counsel them when it comes to just focusing on maybe the the grit of sticking with something versus the pursuit of maybe something that's more aligned? I would ask them, you know, how do you feel in the morning when you wake up? And no matter what they're doing, if they're feeling excited and fired up and, and you know, wanting to work hard, then let them work hard. Like I'm, I'm one of those. I can't stop. I cannot stop. It doesn't matter. If you take away all my work, I will find things to do that is going to like fire me up. That's how I've always been. And so I work very hard a lot, I, but I have a ton of energy to be able to put into it. And I wake up every single day. I can't say every day, but for the majority of the time, I am waking up excited about my day. And so there's personalities out there that just like want to go. And then there's others who need more of that calming, that balance. And so they need to make that decision on, you know, it, it may not get as high returns as fast, but they're going to be a lot happier for it. So I just honestly individualize it to everybody and just say, if you're happy, but if you're grinding because you think you have to keep up with the next person beside you, then that's that's something that needs to be addressed and you need to figure out what is good for you and what works for you in your situation because everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different place, background, experience. And so you can't expect to be at the same spot as somebody that you see online. You have no idea what their their life is like behind that camera. So don't let the highlight reels keep, you know, make you feel less than. You have to be individual. You have to be authentic to like what fits for you. And so I just would individualize it to that. So a lot of the Gallup polls that I've looked at in years past show 85% of people are not happy at their job. So the answer you just gave is seems to be more along the lines of go into something, change jobs as often as it takes until you can get to a place where you're happy to wake up in the morning. So to those 85% of people that are saying they're unhappy, you would not encourage them to grind through it. You would encourage them to go find something that's a better fit. I would look at, so I also look, I'm, um, I'm qualified on the, it's the strong in strong interest inventory or personality inventory. It was a while ago. So this is an actual like workplace personality, personality inventory. They're kind of connected with the Myers-Briggs. So I look at people who are unsatisfied in their job. Well, first of all, you have to think about like, well, what does that, what's the culture like? What's the leadership like? Are there needs being met? Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Right. So, you know, as employers, like I, I focus on employee motivation. And so as a, a leader and a supervisor, I need to make sure that my employees, all their basic needs are being met. And then I need to add on to that to give them the uh, autonomy and being able to make their choices. And so you have to look at that, like what's that culture like? And if those are there, there's another side of it is that our personalities in the workplace there's um, it trying to there's different types of workplace personality. And so if you take this test that I administer, then we kind of put it into a range. And so your top three personalities don't always align. And so sometimes you've got two personalities that are aligned. So it's like your how entrepreneurial you are, 
or how social you are, but then there might be one like artistic or investigative that is over on the other side of the pie. And it's very difficult to have a, a job that's going to meet all of your personality. Hmm. And that might be what's lacking for you. And so for those people, after we do that test, for those people, I would say, if you can't find it in your job, then maybe you need to find it outside of the job in like a hobby or, you know, a side gig or something like an outlet, because you're not being authentic to your actual personality, if that makes sense. So it may not actually totally. be the job. And sometimes like with investors, so I get a lot of investors that talk to me about wanting to quit that nine to five. Sometimes you need to look at it from a different perspective. Like, is that nine to five helping you towards your goals? Like, are you able to get financing because of your nine to five? So stop focusing on how much you hate the nine to five and think about it as it's elevating you towards your goals and it's not going to be your forever. So we have to look at everything, right? And uh, make sure that people are also just like, Sometimes things suck. Like there's stuff in my real estate job that I don't want to mm-hmm. do, right? But the results are so much better when I do my bookkeeping, when I keep that up to date or the admin side of things. And so sometimes we just have to put up with it as long as you're pursuing other that are lighting you yeah, up. Yeah, I think that's that a really interesting point. You. Something that my wife and I talk about a fair bit is we're going through, we've been married for 14 and a half years and so like, I'm sure like most couples, you know, there's things that are really amazing and there's things where you're on the opposite side of the, of the spectrum. One of the things that we discovered along with what you're saying is that, I mean, obviously certain needs have to be met within a marriage for it to be a marriage, but, but by and large, like a lot of personality needs don't have to be met by your spouse, you know, and the more you can recognize, okay, instead of looking to this one person to meet every single part of every need that I have, like for my, my love languages are quality time and physical touch. Well, I could spend time with people other than my wife, you know, like guy friends and whatnot, no problem. So I think that's really an interesting thing is I didn't, I never thought about it this way. So essentially people are wanting to get something from their job. Maybe that's not meant to be had from their job. Exactly. And to find it outside. Right. And so to be able to add like that hop, you know, somebody who works, I have a friend, she's a lawyer and, um, but she has this creative side of her personality. And so on the side, she does like a, a photography and, and like a food uh, blog type account. She'll kill me the way I'm describing it, but you know, she's doing really well, but it isn't in line with what she does for her day job but she's able to connect it all together to be able to appease to, to every side of her personality. Cause imagine if she didn't have this outlet, she would really feel like she's mm-hmm. lacking something and she might look at her job as the issue. Mm-hmm. And it's a good point you brought up about with marriage. Great point actually, is that a lot of people look to their spouse for everything and to be everything and they can't, they're not you, they're not clones of you. And so if you feel like you're lacking right. something, obviously, like some of the big things, yeah. As long as it's not like, you know, how to say the big things, yeah. <laughs> then why not try to to find that outside? Like my husband's, you know, he's not a, a big social guy, but I love being social, and so instead of me dragging him to all of these events where he just would do it for me but not enjoy it. 
then I just go to these events and I can represent and do the the real estate stuff. And, you know, he can have his quiet time and enjoy that solitude that he craves and everybody's love how you're using it in the home life too. So essentially let's take your personality knowledge and let's apply it even deeper to the real estate investing space. So if you're building out a team to run real estate investment company, how, how do you put that together? What are the players? What are the aptitudes? What are the personalities? So a lot of people that are listening to this and that we coach and mentor are in that space of they're early in their journey of building real estate teams. What pieces do you say they need and how should they find them? How should they assess them? Well, they have to be able to appreciate like, <laughs> right? a good meme for me. That's like one of my top. All of, that's my tester, right? If we're starting to text, I'll just like drop a, a meme in there or uh, one of those gifts and uh, see what their response is. So that's pretty much my like base level. But yeah, it's the, to me, communication. And it's that you almost can't define it connection. So I want to be able to have that conversation with them and then walk away feeling good. If I'm feeling like they're withholding or um, that, yeah, it's just a, a challenge, like you're pulling teeth to get that, then it's not going to be a good fit. And so at the most basic level, honestly, is just like, and another thing is being able to take responsibility. You know, if somebody comes and tells me that they made a mistake, you get so much respect for me rather than somebody who says, you can tell if they're like passing the the blame somewhere else. And so I often put that up front just to say, listen, because I can be incredibly understanding. I get it. We're all human. We make mistakes. But if you don't own those mistakes, then we can't continue to work together because that tells me you haven't learned from those mistakes. And so really, it's just like, make sure you have that conversation that you can feel that connection, go with your gut um, and like past behavior, predictor of future behavior. That's a big one for me. If they've done something in the past that, you know, made you feel uneasy, then walk away, have standards with the people that you have in your life. And it doesn't have to be a fight. I did this the other day. I had a realtor. I like going direct to the realtors, like the selling agents. Because it gives me totally. just one step closer to the seller to have that line of communication, right? If not, like I'm writing emails and I'm telling yep. my realtor to send it directly to the seller because totally. I need to communicate with the seller. So I went direct, but I could tell like there were some red flags that were coming up with this realtor where he just kept pushing off. And like this is this property was four and a half million dollars. And so it's no joke. And I wanted to put an offer in on Friday and he had plans. And so I was like, okay, cool. Saturday, let's like write this up. And Saturday evening, I get the actual draft version of the offer. I like approve it right away. I was expecting the electronic signature to come. Crickets, nothing. Sunday rolls around. I'm like, where's this offer? What, you know, when am I getting this? Nothing. So Monday, I just wrote back and I said, listen, I'm just not comfortable with this representation. We're going to part ways. And if I decide to pursue this, then, you know, I'm just going to be using a different realtor. I kept it very amicable. Like this is a small space, but I'll walk away from that deal because I don't trust this realtor. And I didn't trust that he had my interests in the forefront. And so for me, 
that's the standard that I would maintain that it doesn't matter how good this deal is. I'm not working with somebody that. Yeah. And so for you, it seems like you're assessing, like you said, you know, past history, right? So essentially patterns over potential and then how much they show up from an activity level, from an energy perspective, their sense of urgency, maybe to some degree, their sense of humor, or at least their willingness to work with your sense of humor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. And you can tell that people are shy at first. And then once we get talking and we, because we want to have fun, like at the end of the day, like we want to have fun. Mm-hmm. I had somebody write to me yesterday because they joked about something that I, because that's my, my social media is lighthearted and fun. Um, and they wrote and they said, I hope you don't mind that, you know, I'm making these jokes and I said, not at all. Like I was surprised that they even apologized to me for that because I I said, I give you more credit for that to be able to, to joke because that's what we're here for. But, you know, we want to enjoy what it. we're doing. That's important so, for me. A question that I have, I like to think of things like, you know, as, mm-hmm. as tensions, essentially two opposing ideas and how, how do you find the middle ground? So when you're hiring and you're trying to find someone that jives mm-hmm. with your style, how do you... Uh, you know, put that up against, you know, diversity of personality, you know, as far as, I mean, obviously you're, you're looking at those psychometric tests for, you know, people that are super high in conscientious and generally don't like humor as much, that type of stuff. So how do you balance, you know, that diversity of personality versus having a more of a culture of fit within a company? I, I love your questions. They're so intuitive. And I think this is such a good question because yes, I have a certain type of personality, but from a leadership perspective, and that's how I see myself is the leader of my team, regardless if you're a contractor, property manager, admin, it doesn't matter. You're part of that like leadership team. I adapt to them. I always make sure that I'm adapting my style to their personality because it's not for me to go and change them. <laughs> sure, do I test the water to see like where where they're at? But you know, if they're not like belly rolling in laughter with a, a meme, then you know it's fine. To me, the most important thing is like, are they showing up? Are they responsive? Within reason, like I'm not expecting immediately, but I'm not the a week or two and no response, that's an issue. Not being able to uh, take ownership for their actions, that's an issue for me. And so it's those are the types of things I'm always observing behavior, whether or not people know or can see it. Because again, I'm not here to change people or fight people, but I'm here to cultivate like a team that is authentic, a team that is strong and a team that is, you know, reliable, like reliability is, is paramount. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you don't do it, then at least come to me and let me know. Like that's it. hundred percent. It's basic. Yeah. It's very basic. What would you say are the biggest mistakes mm-hmm. people are making in their hiring that you see? Um, that, yeah, they're not standardizing the process. I think that's a big mistake. I think that if you like tenant selection, let's say, or hiring, you've got questions, um, you should be asking everybody the same question in order to then evaluate the response. 
for sure, like see where it goes always. I was hiring a bookkeeper and an admin not too long ago. I created, you know, the job ad and everything. I had a list of questions that I wanted to ask them. All the things that I believed were relevant to the position, you know, and some experience, behavior, things like that. But the conversation veered off naturally, which was the approach that I wanted to take. And I, I started everything the same, but to be able to give everybody the same baseline and the same questions is the fairest way that you're able to assess them, but let the conversation, you know, see where that takes you and then make your evaluation based on both. It's it's always happening. Yeah. And so essentially you're saying that a lot of people don't go through that process. They just ask haphazard questions and yeah. That's interesting. Or aligning it. Like the questions, are the questions lined up with the position? Are they really making sure that, are they evaluating the the competencies that would be required for that job? And I know that that's difficult when you're not trained in this area. And so as like an entrepreneur trying to hire somebody, my biggest, best advice that I could give them is literally write out the tasks that you want the person to be able to do. And then ask questions surrounding those tasks. You know, it's just to keep it basic, but really just try to make sure you line it up with the actual job itself. Yeah. So like, you know, I saw on social media that Elon Musk asks like the question, if, where are you at in the world? If you're, you can walk South a mile, West a mile, you know, North a mile or whatever, and then you're in the same spot. Um, What? Yeah. So yeah, that's the problem solving side of me that, uh, yeah. So, so essentially like, would you recommend tough questions like that? Or like you mentioned the word basic, or do you think just keep it super simple for the, for the people answering questions? It, you'd have to define, you'd have to, depending on the job for sure. So if I'm hiring a bookkeeper, then I don't need to go into like that tough of a question. I really care more about their accounting ability, their bookkeeping ability. If I'm hiring like my right-hand man, if I'm looking for like an operations manager, then definitely I might be going into more higher level, um, see what their problem-solving capability is. It reminded me of, um, so when I was in high school, I did a co-op for a a business program. And part of that co-op, we had to go and interview, be interviewed by all the businesses that were lined up for us. And I think I was 16 and the question that they asked me, I've never forgot it. And I, I bring it up often when I'm doing workshops for the military to transition out because I, I help people interview. I help them, you know, know how to answer these questions, but it threw me off, but I was able to answer it immediately. And the question was, if you were a fruit, what kind of fruit would you be and why? And at 16, I was just like, Right away, I answered it. I said I'd be a peach. Mm. And I said that I had a hard core on the inside. And I was like soft and kind on the outside. <laughs> Love it. And so it uh, it stuck with me because, right? But So yeah, you could ask these like obscure questions. And that really does tell you about somebody's personality. I've done that before where I've asked questions. And it's interesting because the way that somebody responds to a weird question actually will show right and so if they're i've seen people scoff before or like make a face 
And then the ones that just like take that pause. So when I'm, when I'm training people, I say, any question that you get asked, don't, don't make a face, just like take a pause. You're allowed to think about your response and then just give your best answer. It's that control. It's like an emotional control. And so, yeah, it's interesting Mm -hmm. to see somebody's response. That's a really funny point. Like, I just want to jump in on that one because my face is so expressive and I feel like I have no control over it. Like, it just does its own thing. Like, I could take a pause, but my face is already doing what it's doing. Like, I, I have no, like, I mean, I just think that's an interesting concept. I think Are you that would be such a challenge for me to actually execute on because it just goes. Yeah. What's that? I said, I asked, are you impulsive? <laughs> he would score high on that one. I'm extremely impulsive. I'm an ENTP. Um, so impulsivity in nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I wanted to say, like, I, I mean, I wish we had a little bit more time. Like, I can tell you my big five. I'm, uh, I'm 90% open. Hold on. Where is it? Because while you're and, um, in terms of aptitude, I've taken the military aptitude test. And I've, I've taken the military test in America. Um, I don't remember what the score was, but it was between 92 and 95th percentile. So the aptitude was good. Um, where is the big five? I had it somewhere. But what I like about Tim and, and your personality is that even if you were asked a question that was obscure and yeah. you didn't know, I think you would just laugh. And I think that you would just have a pleasant demeanor about it. And there's a big difference between that. And I've seen people just like, do you know what I mean? Like there's a big difference in the way, I guess, if people are listening and they can't see this, but when they make those facial expressions, that's going to be really telling how you approach. Like I can already tell Tim approaches life. He's jovial. You're a, you're a happy go lucky guy where, mm-hmm. you know, it, somebody else that would be more judgmental is going to show their cards mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. So if you are asked a question like poker face, everybody just go poker face and think, think about Sweet. it. And then I want to, I want to dive into bias. So one of the ways I know you can remove bias is by asking all the same questions. But you had mentioned earlier in the the episode that essentially there's bias just by issuing a cognitive test. So are you removing bias by having a handful of tests or how does someone as much as possible remove bias? By understanding it. So the most bias is going to come from the human factor. And so definitely like the, the cognitive tests have bias just based on where people are brought up you know, in, in, in society, in the country. And so it does have one there and we do try to mitigate that as best as possible. But the fun part is when you're training individuals to interview, because that's a part of what I do is, is teach people how not to have bias. So when somebody walks into your, your office for an interview, there's so many things that are already like judgments that are going on in your head, how they look, dress, walk, Uh, talk, you know, cadence. So you're already formulating judgment before they've even opened their mouths. And so, you know, we talk to people about, uh, there's a thing called like the halo effect. So somebody walks in and they say something that you're just like, wow, that's incredible. Then all of a sudden, everything else is, you're going to believe that they're incredible instead of really looking at every scenario unbiased. Um, again, how people look. So there's a, it's awful, but mothers, there's a study that showed that mothers with more attractive babies 
put the seatbelt cart over their, their lap more often than mothers that had unattractive babies. And so they say just from like oh, wow. the way that you look, you can have that bias because somebody who's put together, somebody who's attractive walking into a room, people will view them more favorably. And so what we do is try to, you know, train our interviewers to make sure that they aren't just judging by the eyes and ears that they're like actually taking in the the facts of the information. So when you understand the bias, then at least you're able to mitigate it more than not understanding whatsoever. So what does life look like for you in the next six to 12 months? What are you up to? What are you building? Oh, I'm so many things. So I'm working on a thesis, which is, uh, takes a lot of my time and I'm going into my final year of my, my master's program for psychology. So that does take quite a bit of time. I am a mom. My, my son is 10 years old. He's a big sports guy. So he's getting into, you know, hockey seasons coming up. Good Canadian boy. Uh, real estate side has been amazing. I started to coach some, some investors and that has just been like, that is my bread and butter. Cause I, thrive in that coaching counseling format. And so that happened organically and that's been growing and, and it's just really fulfilling for me. Um, uh, yeah. And I just keep buying properties. I'm growing that portfolio and I'm just figuring out what works best for me instead of necessarily following the stream. You know, everybody goes multifamilies and I have to go multifamilies. I'm really focused on like going where I feel good. And I don't care and I don't have a, an agenda and doors I have to hit. I'm literally just doing this because I am cultivating a life that like, so I'm fired up to, awesome. to wake this up. This is the Freedom you know Chasers I mean? podcast because we believe in life, freedom, and pursuing purpose. Yeah. So it is like you, you oh, yeah. like hit our mantra, you know, you just nailed it. Meant to be because it, it's true, right? Everyone talks about that financial freedom. Yeah. Do I want tons of money to be able to travel and, and do all the fun things? Absolutely. But I'm going to do it in a way that is authentic and aligned with me and like what I want to do, because I just think that there's so many ways to do it and we don't need to get caught up in that rat race. We need to like stay aligned with like who we are. So big advocate. What's the best way for people to connect with you if they want some connection on personalities or investor uh, advice, coaching? All of it. So Instagram is where I'm most active. It's just got like an amazing community. And so I will answer any message that gets sent to me. It is not soliciting, (laughs) of course. And so people can reach out, ask questions, happy to, yeah, if you just start off with like, can I ask you a question, then no, but like, give me some substance and I'll talk to you all day. And so Instagram, I'm on TikTok as well. I've got Facebook and email, but yeah, if you're on Instagram, you'll find me there. Invest Real Fit is my handle. And so of course, that's like the combination of real estate and personality and fitness, fit because I do just like, yeah genuinely believe if you and you know what i never even like put that together but that's a good pickup yeah you're right yeah 
because it is it's a personality fit person job fit everything so yeah take it i like that i'm stealing it take it yeah it's all yours um victoria oh my god this has been just such an absolute pleasure um thank you so much for sharing everything that you did thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life into into, and into your business excuse me and and to those of you out there chasing freedom freedom is acquired one action at a time um if you do nothing else please write down at least one action from today and make sure to implement that within the next seven days And, and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable and before you know it you too can be living a life of freedom so thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next one Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 